You're listening to the Fervent Church Podcast, a church in the Austin area who exists so that people may know Jesus. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged, challenged, and strengthened in your relationship with Jesus today. For more teachings, information, or to support our ministry, please visit fervent.church. We pray you're blessed by the message. Tonight, um, we'll be in Genesis chapter 3, so if you have your Bibles, open them up. Genesis 3 is where we'll be. We'll go through the entire chapter tonight, and we'll have some other supporting texts that we'll, we'll briefly look at. But tonight, we're going to be talking about something that, quite honestly, isn't talked about much in the world. Um, it's not talked about much in the world, and surprisingly, what I've found anyways, um, and I've noticed from experience, is that it is not talked about a whole lot in most churches these days. Typically, at some point in my sermon prep, as I'm kind of preparing for whatever it is, I usually like to listen to a teacher or two, and I like to try to find sermons on that topic or that text. Um, one good thing about Calvary Tucson is I can go back, and my pastor there, he's taught for 35 years, so I can pretty much find every text from him. But finding them in other places, other churches, it's hard to find um, teachings on certain topics and texts. And um, so I'll listen to some teachings, but this week's topic, man, I was looking at some teachings, and other than my pastor um, from Calvary Tucson, Robert Furrow, it's been hard to find teachings on Genesis chapter 3, like verse by verse, trying to dig in and get deeper. It's been a little bit hard, a little difficult, hard to find um, topics on it. And so, well, you can find many teachings on pretty much everything right out in the world. You go to other churches, you can find teachings on blessings. God wants to bless you, right? He wants to turn your burdens into a blessing. And that's not a bad thing. And that's not even, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily false, but that's not everything, right? It's like we can uh, find teachings on Moses' life. That's like a big one. And I love Moses' life. I love going through Exodus, um, Deuteronomy, and some of those things. We can find stuff on Joshua and the victories that he won and the things that he faced. David and Saul, how exciting is that, right? The, just the, the tension between them. So you can find teachings on all of this stuff. And obviously Jesus and the disciples, those are all good things. But it's hard to find teachings on one of the most fundamental foundational truths. Uh, not, I mean, I say truths because it's true, um, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily good. In Scripture, and tonight that is sin. We're going to talk about sin. It's like if you take out Genesis chapter 3 in the Bible and you try to read through the Bible, you're going to get to Genesis chapter 4 and you'll be like, what happened? Like, like I missed something. You know, if you ever watch a TV show and you miss one week or you had something going on, but then you try to pick up next week and you didn't actually catch up on what happened prior, you're like, what happened? Why do they hate each other? Why, is, why are these brothers killing each other? You know, like, what's going on? That's what we see in Genesis 4. And so you take out Genesis 3 in the introduction um, of sin into the Bible, and the rest of the Bible is not going to make much sense. You're going to be like, something went wrong here, and I don't have the full picture. And so it's hard to find teachings on these, and I understand why. To be honest, it's not a topic we want to talk about, right? It's, not, it's definitely not something you want to teach probably for church growth. Like, hey, let's talk about sin, guys, and we're going to hope that more people want to come and hear that they're, they're terrible, right? But Genesis 3, uh, it's a, nece- a necessity to, to just knowing God more, knowing what happened. And so tonight's message title, if you take notes, is just simply, In the Beginning, Sin. In the beginning sin and while we're not going to go on a list of different types of sins because that will take us forever like there's endless possibilities 
um, when it comes to sin. Um, but what the basic definition we're going to go with is James chapter 4, verse 17, and it says this, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Knowing what you should do and not doing it, that is sin. Or we could flip it around, the same is true as like knowing what you shouldn't do and doing that, that is sin. So um, that's our basic definition we'll go off of with tonight. But sin is all around us. We live in a sin-stained world. Would you agree with me? If you watch the news, I know I said that a couple weeks ago and nobody really responded. But I watch the news from time to time. It's frustrating sometimes, right? It's like, you're like, what is going on? I can't believe these people. Um, you just see these things, right? It's like you think to yourself, how can people do that? Or you scroll, scroll through social media. Maybe you don't go to the news on TV, but you're going through social media. How can people do that? How can that person say that about them? How come they, there's so much chaos and just hatred um, in the world, right? But the answer, the reason why is sin, why is everyone going crazy and why do people hate each other and kill each other and just and do bad things in general because sin is real sin is a real thing and we can't get away from it and so we can look to our lives right i think we can all agree we're old enough and we can say there's moments in our lives where we're like that was sin like that was stupid i shouldn't have done that or or whatever um but but we all deal with sin we live in an interesting time in history right now, right? COVID-19. Uh, for those who might look at this teaching many years down the road, it's like, remember back to 2020 when all, all, all things went crazy, right? It's like, but COVID-19, and people will say, oh, it's the greatest, most worst pandemic to ever hit the planet Earth, right? And so, but some people will be like, no, the Spanish flu of 1918 was the greatest pandemic thing, and that killed way more people. But matter of fact, it pales, all these things pale in comparison to the greatest pandemic that has ever hit Earth. And that, again, that's sin. Every person who has ever lived and every person that ever will live has been infected with this thing called sin, and it might take 20, 30, 40, 80, 90, 100 years, but it will kill you. It has a 100% death rate. And scripture tells us that we are born into iniquity, and really what that word means is just into immorality. Um, and so sin, simply again, just rebelling against God, doing what we shouldn't do, um, rebelling against God's word, his design, his will. And God, really, he's the only real good thing, so to do anything apart from him, that's, that's another um, example of sin. So let's pray and then we'll get into this um, scripture tonight. So Father, we just come here and we just ask that you would teach us, that you would send your Holy Spirit, God, and that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that you would illuminate your scripture and that you would teach us. Help us to have a more full, deeper understanding, Lord, that the seed that would go forth today, Lord, would fall on good soil, Lord, that it would spring up bringing the fruit that you want, fruit of righteousness that you desire, Lord. And just help us to understand that sin is a problem and it needs to be dealt with lord and and it can only truly be dealt with through your son jesus and so we just pray that you would be here with us teach us bless our time and we thank you for this time in jesus name we pray amen so my hope tonight is as we talk about sin in the beginning sin um, we're going to look at the first account of sin um, obviously if you do the math and you kind of read between the lines the account that we're going to actually read tonight is not the first sin to ever happen it's just the first sin that's written down because Genesis 3, we know Adam and Eve, right? They sin, they fall, they do what they shouldn't do. But the serpent is in the garden. The serpent is who? 
Satan, right? And so Satan was an angel. We'll actually look at some scripture tonight about Satan. It's like he was an angel and he chose first to rebel and sin. And that was the first sin. That's not written down in Genesis 3. It's not in Genesis 2 footnotes or anything like that. We just kind of have to do the math and do the reading in between the lines. Like, hey, wait, like God saw everything and said that it is very good. And then there's this serpent who's obviously deceitful and deceptive. We'll see that. But my hope tonight as we look at this first initial human sin, if you will, is to pull some points for us to take, to apply to our lives, to better prepare us for the war outside. I mean, it's like it's, it's war. And I think a lot of times the war is within ourselves even. It's like if we can just realize our own downfalls and avoid different types of sin, and if we can realize that we need to repent of sin and understand the seriousness and the depth of sin, and that the only cure is Jesus, like, it will help us better. And so that's my hope as we look at this scripture tonight. So just Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and it starts out like this, and it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And so we've, we dive into Genesis 3. This is right after creation, right? Last week we zoomed in on the creation of man, right? We looked at um, Adam and then also Eve. And God saw all these things, and he says that it is very good. Amidst that chapter, he's told Adam one thing. This was interesting that he told Adam this before Eve was on the scene. He told Adam, and said, You can eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's after God gives Adam the command, and then he goes to Adam, and he says, It's not good that he's alone. And then he makes a helper fit for him, right? So that happens. Genesis chapter 3, it almost just seems like we're going off on the same storyline, right? Well, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. It's like it's a zooming in of creation. But just note that he says that he's more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim is what that means, had made. And Just something to, to note. It's like he's made by God. And so he goes off on this, and really, again, what we know from this and from the rest of Bible study and studying Scripture is that this is Satan. This isn't just some snake on the scene, like, oh, look, a snake, he's cute and cuddly and whatever. It's like, no, this is Satan, um, Lucifer, the devil, whatever you want to call him, the enemy of Jesus. And so here's some things to jot down just to know about Satan. I don't know if you know this, um, He's obviously crafty, as this word tells us. He's cunning. He's smart. Scripture, write these down for homework. Ezekiel 28. Go through, read this, and read Isaiah 14 as well. And it tells us about Satan. There's not much you can gather from the Bible about Satan himself, but in these two chapters there actually is. Um, But it says this, is that Satan, he said of this himself, that I am a God. He said, I will make myself like the Most High. This is Satan speaking. Scripture says that Satan was wiser than Daniel. And if you know Daniel in the scriptures, like Daniel was a guy who would be able to hear your story or your dream and he could interpret things and he would actually have this prophetic gift. Like he was a wise man, understood things that nobody else would understand or know. And he says this, scripture says about Satan, that no secret is hidden from him. Isn't that interesting? I don't think we know that like right off the top of the bat. We're just like, oh, well, God knows everything, but Satan doesn't know everything. That doesn't mean that Satan knows everything. But just like he knows probably a lot more than we think he does. A lot more about ourselves than he 
than we think he does. An instance of that would be Job. Job, right, he's living his life, things are good, he's got a family, he's wealthy and stuff, and then Satan's up there in heaven and he's just like, like, Lord, um, I don't know if he called him Lord, probably not, he's just like, God, um, he, he only loves you because you give him everything, because you protect him all the time. He's like, take away some of those blessings and he's going to curse you to your face, just see, right? And then God's like, oh, okay, well, you can go ahead and test him. Don't kill him, but you can start to take away the things, right? But what we see is like Satan knows something about Job. It's like he's got this rich blessing and protection from God. And so he goes up there to try and make war with Job, right? He's like, God, just let me ruin his life a little bit. And then God, actually, the crazy thing is he lets the trials come. It's interesting. Um, some more stuff about Satan is that he has wealth. The scripture would tell us that he built wealth for himself. It says that he was beautiful in his creation. So just that fact right there that he in his creation, he was created. He's not eternal like God and he never will be. And then it, scripture tells us that he was in the Garden of Eden. The only people we know and have record of that were in the Garden of Eden were God, right? Yahweh, Adam and Eve, and Satan, the snake. And I mean, other animals and stuff. But those are the only um, people there. More stuff about Satan. He was an, an anointed guardian cherub. Really meaning just he was an angel. He was to be a protector, um, very interesting. And scripture even says that he was blameless. He was made blameless until unrighteousness was found in him, namely pride, right? He wanted to make himself like the Most High. John 10 tells us that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his MO. That's his, his slogan, right? If he were to make a t shirt, it's like that would be his thing. A kill, steal, destroy. He wants to kill our faith. He wants to steal our hope. He wants to destroy our lives. Satan's the author of sin. He's the father of lies. He's the leader of rebellion. He's the chief commander of unrighteousness and lawlessness. That's who Satan is. And so here's the thing, that as we're diving into sin tonight, it's a result of, of Satan. It's, that's what Satan wants for your life. He wants you to sin. He wants you to indulge, go to the max. And even if you don't go to the max, Satan's like, just settle with just a little bit of sin. It's okay. And we're going to see that in Scripture tonight. Here's the thing. Satan hates God. He hates Yahweh. He hates uh, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit. He hates, hates him. And anything and anyone that has anything to do with Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, that, that implies that he also hates us. So if we're a follower of Jesus tonight, it's like we are enemies of Satan. And so for me, it's really no surprise when bad things happen, like especially like when I'm preparing for a message. And like this past week, my kids got sick. Right? They're not here tonight, so don't worry, but it's just like that kind of stuff happens, and I'm just like, this is not a coincidence, right? It's like my wife is about to go out of town on a retreat with some ladies to try and find some spiritual rest and some spiritual substance there, right, from the Lord. It's like, and then I'm also trying to teach a message that's super foundational, fundamental on Scripture, um, for our understanding of Scripture, and then these attacks happen, right? And then our kids are up all night whining and crying. They don't feel good. And then I'm not sleeping and I got to go to work. And just it's not a surprise to me because Satan knows me better than I know myself. And one thing I do know about me is like I need sleep. And those types of things that happen like that, they, they frustrate me. And then I don't want to do anything. I'm just like, forget it. I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm not going to study. I'm not going to do any of this stuff. So Satan, he, he hates us because we love Jesus. And so right here in this first verse tonight, what we see, I mean, it says, now the serpent was more crafty 
than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. That word crafty there, just interesting. Um, we could go deeper into it, but just I want you to note that, that he was crafty. He's not stupid. He's not, uh, he's not just a snake. And so here's, as we look at this, though, think about it. Put yourself in Adam and Eve's shoes. God had just looked at all of creation. He just made you guys, and he's like, have fun, guys. Do whatever you want in the garden. Just don't touch this one tree. And then God says, it's very good. And that's what happened. And then the next thing we see is now this snake comes up on the scene. So what do you think is going through Adam and Eve's mind when a snake comes, on, comes up on the scene? What I would think is I'm seeing a snake and I'm like, oh, everything's very good. Snake, very good. At that point, it wasn't associated with evil. Actually, Genesis 3 is the reason why we probably associate snakes with evil and darkness, if you will, because of this very instance. But before this instance happened, you wouldn't think that a snake's harmful. God told Adam that you've got all dominion over them, all, over all the animals. And so this snake comes up on the scene. Um... God's saying everything's very good. So I can only imagine that when the snake comes up on the scene, Adam and Eve were not alarmed. They were not frightened. They're just, everything is good. And so the snake comes in as good, and that's just something we need to know about um, Satan. And here's a verse if you want to jot it down. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That principle there is like he will disguise himself as things that are seemingly good and he will use them to deceive us into doing things that are not good. So the snake comes up on the scene. You put the pieces together. God said everything's good. Even the snake, snake comes disguised as something good, as something God claimed was good. Just think about it. I just, for me, it just blows my mind because I'm like, man, how crafty, deceptive, and tricky is that? God. And he does the same thing to us today, using good things to lure us away from God, the best thing. And so Genesis 1 again, so now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, so this is Satan's first recorded words, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? His first words recorded in Scripture, he says, Did God, that's the word Elohim, right? Did he actually say? One of Satan's tactics, if you take notes, this is what we need to know. If we want to go out and live a fruitful life so that people may know Jesus, we need to know that sin is real, and we need to know how Satan gets us to sin. His first thing is, did God actually say that? He brings God's word into questioning. He gets us to start to question God's word. Satan loves to put God's word on trial and let you be the judge. He'll, he'll try to confuse you all kinds, and then he'll want you to be the judge. And so if he can get you questioning God's word, he can get you to start to doubt God altogether, right? Don't you think? Yeah. He starts to confuse us. You know, just think about when someone asks you about yesterday. Like, hey, what did you do yesterday? It's like, for me anyways, maybe it's just me. I got to think about it for a second. Like, I don't know. It was a good day, I guess. I don't remember anything bad. And, you know, well, what did you eat for lunch? You know, it was like, ah. I got to think about it for a second. Uh, I don't know, you know, peanut butter sandwich. I don't know what I ate. But anyways, like you think about it. And so when people call your memory into question, right, they're, Satan's asking Adam and Eve, he says, did God actually say this? 
He's, he's saying, hey, what do you remember? Now all of a sudden they got to try to remember back to yesterday or last week, last week's sermon from God in the garden. I don't know. That would be a good title, God in, in the garden. I don't know. Uh, sorry, it just came to me. Uh, but he, you got to remember back. And so now as you try to remember back, though, you're like, well, wait a minute. Did he say that? I don't remember. I mean, I remember he said don't eat of that tree. But why did he say not to eat of the tree again? I don't remember. It leads us to think maybe we heard wrong. Maybe it was something else that he said. And notice that the serpent says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? What did Satan do here? He obviously just right there, just twisted God's word straight up off the bat. No, no stutter, nothing. Right. And that like, did God actually say that you can't eat of any tree? Like the obvious answer is no, he didn't say that. No, he didn't say that. He said we can't eat of one tree. And he said, eat, eat freely from every tree in the garden. He said, just don't eat of the one, because when you do, you'll surely die. But Satan likes to try and get us, here's another tactic, he likes to get us to, to think that God is limiting us more than God really is. S- Satan exaggerates big time, right? He like gives his, his, like if you ever try to buy something and you want to bargain with somebody, or, or maybe sell something, this is the better um, thing, like you want to put your highest price first, like, well, you know, I would take $6,000 for my truck, but I'm going to put it on Craigslist for $7,500, right? And just see if anybody bites, right? Like, that's just how we think sometimes. Satan does that. He's like, I'm just going to go ahead and throw the biggest lie out there right now and say, did God actually say you can't eat of any tree? Because he just wants to think, see, like, will you believe what I say? You know, he, he throws this big thing out and he's like, you know, we can negotiate down a little bit. This is almost like what Satan likes to do. And so he makes us think that the ball's in our court, right? And so many people think that God is limiting us, and that's the tactic of Satan, because they say, well, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to know about Jesus. I don't want to pray. I don't want to worship. I don't want anything, any part of that, because God is just a bunch of rules and regulations, and there's no, no freedom, no fun, and it's just boring, and I don't want to do it, right? But in reality, when we walk with God, we start to experience that true, abundant life that Jesus wants for us, and we understand that the things that God and Jesus, right, and his words say, do not do, he just warns us because he doesn't want us to get hurt, right? It's like, I mean, you have your baby there. It's like, I have two babies, I say babies, they're four and two, but I just think, like, when we're teaching them things, like, it is not unloving to say, don't touch the hot stove. Like, that's just smart, right? It's like, that's what God's doing here. He's like, just don't eat of this tree. It's going to kill you. Right? How is that unloving? How is that unfair? And then in a matter of fact, you put it into perspective. He just said, don't eat of one tree. He said, everything else you can eat of. And there's actually two special trees in the garden. There's a tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. And there's a tree of life. And we'll see at the end of the text tonight, if they had eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived forever. It's like, if you would have just ate of that, that was part of what God wanted to bless you with. But now because you went and you sinned and you did what you shouldn't do, God actually cast them out of the garden so that they won't eat of the tree of life. But just interesting. So it's not unloving for God to say, don't eat of it. That's actually a loving father. And it's just so awesome. It's like telling your kid, like, don't touch the hot stove, but anything in the pantry you can have. Go get some gummy snacks, man. Go get some little cookie biscuit breakfast things or whatever you want to get, right? Get a Capri Sun. I don't care. Just don't touch the stove. I, I know my parenting is probably not the greatest. You're like, Capri Suns? We drink a lot of Capri Suns at my house. Um, but that's not unloving, right? It's to tell them what's going to hurt them. It's, it is, in fact, loving. And again, God just gives us tremendous freedom. And so to say you can't have one thing, that's not a bad thing. That's just... That's 
God being loving, but the world wants to twist and say, man, God doesn't love you. He just wants to restrict you and stuff. And so it's crazy. But, but talking about the trees, I just want to reiterate, I said something last week, how the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's not the tree of evil. And I just think it's, it's what do you call it? Fundamental, foundational for us to understand that. It's like God did not author or create evil. Evil is simply the absence of God. Just as, as darkness is the absence of light, right? Darkness is not a substance. It's just there is no light in it. But then you turn the light on, all of a sudden, boom, you can see, right? It's like, but and that's what evil is. Like when God is not there in presence, like that's what evil is. And so it's the knowledge of good and evil. And so it's actually this tree that when they would eat of it, it would give them a knowledge that they didn't have before. Now they could all of a sudden understand what life apart from God would be and what it might look like, right? They might have evil thoughts because now they can actually think that way where it's like, now I can, I mean, you look at the world, it's so, it's, it's kind of sickening how, how crafty people are in their deception and their deceptive ways, right? Um, but anyways, and that's just a result of eating of this tree. So it was not an evil tree in, its, in, in that sense. And so I just want to put that out there that God did not create evil, Evil is the absence of God in his presence. And so I just want to say that. Um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 2, moving on here. So Satan said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And it says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So the woman replies, and I would just say this, noting sin, it's like this is her first mistake. This is all of our first mistake, is engaging with the devil. If Satan comes knocking at the door and we're like, hey, what's up, man? You want to talk? You want to hang out? Let's just talk about life and talk about all the things. Like, ah, I don't want no cookies, Satan. I ain't buying nothing today. But we can talk. It's like that's the first mistake because he is so much smarter than us. If you want to engage with him, he will deceive you. He'll try to make you think that, hey, life is in your hands and you have all control and all this stuff. But man, he is really working behind the scenes more than we could ever imagine. So the first mistake for Eve is she starts to engage with the devil. If the devil's smarter and wiser than us, why would we even talk with him? It's like if you've ever been to court, this is my best example I can think of. It's like if you go to court and the lawyers and judges, they're all talking all this legal jargon, right? All this stuff is super fancy and you're just, I don't, maybe you guys are lawyers, I don't know, and know this stuff. But it's like for me, I'm like, I have no idea what we're talking about. Like, can someone just give me the cliff notes, dumbed down version right now? Because I don't know what they just said to me. Um, you know, but that's why we hire a representative to res represent us. Because, like, I don't understand it. I'm going to get somebody who does. And so the thing is, we have someone like that, and it's Jesus. So Satan comes knocking at the door and says, hey, man, what's up, man? You want to sin? You want to do this? Did God actually say that? And we're like, I don't know what God actually said. Hold on, I'll be right back. I'm going to bring God. I'm going to bring his word. We're going to answer that question, right? And so, so we shouldn't engage with, with Satan at all. We send our representative, Jesus. Um, and, uh, and this is and one example. We'll actually get this in a few weeks when we get into our series, um, Jesus Verified. We'll start reading through Mark, the Gospel of Mark, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, all the way until we're done with it. But in there, and also in Matthew chapter 4, we see um, the temptation of Jesus. 
right? Jesus is out there. He's fasting for 40 days and Satan himself comes to Jesus. And I think one of the greatest things that we can learn about sin and Satan and how to deal with it is how Jesus dealt with it, right? Jesus didn't engage very much. And when he did, what he brought was God's word. Saint said, but it's, but it has been said, like, the Lord's going to send his angels so that you wouldn't fall and, and hurt your foot. But then Jesus is like, but the Lord also said, do not test the Lord your God. And these things, right? It's like Jesus knew the word, and so he always sends the word back. So the woman replies again, verse 3, what did we, where were we at? Um, let me just read it down here. But, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And that is the second mistake. She starts to add to God's word. Right? God didn't say you can't touch it. Right? I heard one of my, uh, my friends, he's a pastor in Tucson, and he said, man, they could have built like a swing on it. They could have built a tree house in it and like done whatever they wanted to do. Just don't eat of the fruit. That's all you don't have. Like you don't do that. Anything else you could do. They could have chopped it down maybe even and made some firewood. That would have been the smart thing. I can't eat of this tree. Like why don't we just burn it right now so we don't ever have to see it again? That would have been smart, right? Maybe. Um, but, but the woman, she adds to God's word, neither shall we touch it, lest we die. And she actually emphasizes that word. It's like me and uh, Louie were talking about just some of the words in Hebrew this past week and stuff. And she emphasizes it and she says, neither shall you like, and she says it three times, touch, touch, touch. In the Hebrew, like when you repeat something three times, that's like the ultimate emphasis, underline, highlight, 10,000 exclamation points, right? It's like, so she emphasizes it, like, no, we shouldn't eat of it. Just eat, eat, no eat. That's how it actually translates, right? And then she says, and then also says, like, touch, touch, no touch. Like, there's three of them. Like, so she emphasizes her word just as much as God's word. That's a huge mistake. When we add to God's word, and this is why I think it's the worst part, is because we bring condemnation on ourselves. That is not supposed to be there, right? When we start to add things like, well, and this is, a, this is one that I feel, it's like, oh, well, you shouldn't, you can't wear your hat in church, right? Like, growing up, like, that's been a thing in churches. At the church I used to work at, I would get in trouble because I wore my hat at church. But for me, it was just something like, that's just you adding to God's word, right? It's like, and so if I added that rule, like, hey, like, we can't have a hat in church or we can't do certain things. Now we're adding more rules and regulations. It's like there's already enough to worry about. We don't need any more rules or regulations. But then what happens is we add these things to it, and then we do it, and then we just feel miserable. We, we start to like hate ourselves. Why did I do this? I'm worthless. I can't believe I did that. It's like, but God's like, I never said that in the first place. I never said that in the first, but I just said don't eat of it. And so what we do when we add to God's word, we give the enemy more ammunition to fire at us. That's what Satan wants. And that's why he started, tries to get Eve confused. Did God actually say you can't eat of any tree? No, he didn't say that. He said we can't eat of the one tree or touch it. And then Satan's like, yes, yeah. That's a, you know what I mean? I bet you a hundred... $100, because I don't have much more than that. I would say, you know, $100 million, but I can't guarantee that. I, I bet you if we could rewind the tapes of time that Satan did not argue with that one bit. When she said, neither shall you touch it. I bet you the serpent was like, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. See, he wants to convince us of that, and he wants to try and use it all against us. Verse 4, Satan replies back, right? When we, when we tango with the devil, the devil tangoes back. He says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
See, she emphasizes, she's like, you're going to die, 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 is really how it's translated. And Satan's like, no, you're not going to die, die. Like, he, he lowers it a little bit. It's not that bad. And, and, and he even says, you're not even going to die, die. So, um, I keep trying to read over here, but it's a little bit dark on that side. But I'll just read it from my, my iPad. But the servant said to the woman, you will not surely die. You'll not surely die. He says, and this is how it's translated. It sounds stupid, but it's die, die, no, die, die. Like, stupid, like, but it, it, again, it's the emphasis. If you, like, start to learn it and you start to read it, you see this, this, like, it's a highlighting of it, a way they punctuate it almost, you know. But what he's doing here, he's denying God's word. First, he tried to twist God's word. Now he's denying God's word. God said, you will surely die. And here's the thing, when God said that you shall surely die the day that you sin and eat of that fruit, he didn't mean that you're going to drop dead because it's a poisonous apple tree and you're going to die. And I think that's the way Satan tries to, tries to spin it. It's like, you're not going to die right now. <laughs> that's basically what he's saying. You're not going to die and then you probably just turn around right now, you know. Uh, but you think about it too, like Satan, he's probably like, I rebelled. I was an angel in heaven. I was blameless. I was a cherubim. I was, I was, and um, Isaiah, or maybe it's Ezekiel 28 still, but talks about all the jewels and stuff that are on there. It's like, I was beautiful. I was amazing. And I denied God and I rebelled and sinned against him. And Satan's like, and I didn't die. Sure, I got cast down from heaven, but who wants to be there anyways? Right? Like he, and I bet you in his experience, he's like, yeah, you're not going to die. I didn't die. Why would, why would you die? I'm more valuable than you, right? He's probably thinking. And that's how, God, how Satan will get us to just start to fall into sin. He starts to just straight up deny God's words. Like, you're not going to die. I think back to my own, my own testimony. I've shared a little bit of it, but I used to do drugs, and I, I was alcoholic, and I was involved in that just party scene. Anything that you can put into that party scene, I was pretty much involved in it pretty deeply. But I remember, like, as I was kind of, kind of falling into it, slipping into it, whatever you want to call it. I remember when I were about to take drugs, and I'm just going to share this with you, just being transparent with you guys. And I remember, I'm like, but I don't want to take that. And I said something to the effect that, like, I don't want to die. And one of my friends said, you're not going to die? <laughs> That's what he, they said to me. You know what I'm saying? But, and it was one of those things where I'm like, but I'm still a little scared. But because you said that, this playing with my mind, what do you think we did at the end of the night? We took those drugs. Because it's like they, they start to feed that lie into me. I start to believe it and I start to think, well, yeah, you know, you've been doing this for a while and you're still alive. And that person's been doing this for a while. They're still alive. So we start to think like, okay, the, the consequence of death or whatever we, we don't think that it's as severe as, as it really is. Because we think if we sin, and when God says you're going to surely die, it's like dying might not be for 80, 90 years, but it's like we don't understand. It's like, but that's not how it was supposed to be. Like God wants us to live eternally. But Satan, will, he'll just straight up, flat out deny God's word, and he starts to get us to believe the lie. That's where, where things will go wrong, Right? And, uh, and truth be told, uh, I mean, that's just how he gets us to go astray. He, uh, that's how he keeps people stealing things and 
I mean, just all the sins in the world that we watch the news and we just cringe at and we get angry at. And we're like, how can, how can people be so mean and rude and just heartless, right? Well, it's because they got away with it one time. They didn't die. They didn't get in trouble. They didn't go to prison. Maybe they did go to prison. They're like, yeah, prison wasn't that bad. You know what I mean? Like, why do people keep on sinning? Because they didn't, they didn't die. And that's what Satan wants you to think. It's like, you got away with it, man. Just keep going. There's actually this guy who works at the church we came from. He's a janitor. And he went to prison for like 17 years because he was a, like a famous bank robber. Like, you know, I'm talking about this dude, man. He's so cool, though. And I hope he comes here one day. I'm going to be like, this is the dude I told you about. Actually, I probably won't do that. He's going to be like, anyways, though. But like, he, he would just rob banks. Like, he was the dude, like, in the movies. And he told me, he's like, I just went in there like the movies, Nick. And I just went in with a bunch of guns. And I'm like, give me all the money. And like, he didn't shoot or kill anybody. But it's like he said he kept doing it because he got away with it. And then the way that he actually got found out one day was because he went to go rob a bank and his wife called the cops on him that, hey, he's going to the bank right now to rob it. And that's what happened. And so but anyways, why people keep going on and sin is because they just they get away with it and they don't think that it's that bad. And Satan gets us to think that it's not that bad. But understand when God says you shall surely die, he didn't just again, he didn't mean that you're going to drop dead right now, but he says you're going to die, die, die emphasis like in revelation when it says that holy 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 is the lord god almighty it's like that's the holiest of holy like that's you can't emphasize it anymore so when you're saying die 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 you can't emphasize death anymore and god's like this is a serious matter and he meant you're gonna die eventually yeah physically but you're gonna die spiritually as well The wages of sin, or the cost of sin, is always death. Always. Romans 6.23 says that, but check out Genesis 3, verse 5, moving on. It says, for God knows, this is Satan speaking, he says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, Satan goes on, he makes it seem right here as if God is holding something out. It's like, hey, you're not going to die. God's just trying to withhold something from you. But if you actually eat of it, you're not going to die for one. This is how he twists God's word, right? He flat out denies God's word. And then he says, but when you eat of it, you'll be like God. How cool would that be? How cool would that be? Yeah, the dude that made you breathe uh, life into dirt, right? It's like you can be like him. And so he starts to appeal to their flesh. Scripture uh, actually tells us that sin is the result of our flesh, of ourselves, right? Something inside us. James chapter 114, it says, Every person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when it, sin is fully grown, brings forth death. And see, what Satan's trying to stir up in, in Eve right now is a desire for what she shouldn't desire. Because if he can get her to desire it, then all of a sudden she's going to be thinking about it, and then she'll finally do that, and then that sin will bring forth death, right? And so that's just how he gets her to engage in sin. But that's also what Satan does with us. It's like it's a fear of missing out. Like, ah, oh, you don't want to miss out on that party. That's what I fell into. Everybody's doing it. Nick, come on, hang out with us this week. It's like, and so I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I'll come with you. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to do any drugs. And that's how I was for a while. 
And then, as the Bible says, bad company corrupts good morals. That's what happened to me. I had good morals. I had a good upbringing, right? People look at my mom and dad and they're like, how could you go and do all that stuff? Like, your parents were great and all that. And I'm like, I don't know. Satan sold me a lie and I bought it. And he gets us to desire it. Gets us to see, as he does with Eve, that it's pleasurable. And sin, the Bible even says it, that sin is pleasurable for a season. And I'd be lying to you if I said sin isn't fun at times or feel good, right? It's like sin, we, nobody would be sinning if it didn't satisfy in some way, shape, or form. But Satan sells them that, that lie that you can be like God. And he says, he actually emphasizes it in the Hebrew too. Like, you shall, shall, shall be like God. It's a selling point for him. How cool would that be? Truth is, obviously, we can never be like God, right? First off, he's, he's eternal. Like, even, you know what I mean? He's eternal. There's no way that we could ever be like him. And then the thing is, what Scripture tells us is that we are made, God says, let's make man in our What's the word? Image. Let us make man in our image. Like, just think about the image of something, like this field or whatever this is, this park. It's like you, you take, you go out there, you experience it, you're like, oh, it's a beautiful day out, you know, it's just nice, there's a cool breeze, it's not too hot, um, there's not too many bugs, or I wore my bug spray today, so they didn't get me, right? But anyways, like, you have all these experiences in life, but say you take a picture of it, and then you go back to someone else, one of your family members, you're trying to show them of it, you're like, oh yeah, it looks like a nice day. But that picture isn't really that experience. We're made in God's image, so we are a picture of God, but we are not God. A picture, an image, is never the same as a, like the Grand Canyon back in Arizona where we're from. It's like you go to the Grand Canyon, it's pretty amazing. You see a picture, and then you're just like, man, like you try to take a picture to show everybody how cool it is, and then you like look at it, and you're like, yeah, it was, it was better in real life, though, trust me. Like, you know, like you have to like explain it and start to give disclaimers. It's like because the image is not the actual thing. We are not God when we never will be, never can be. So it's a lie when he's like, you can be like God. No, you can't. Genesis 3, verse 6, um, they go on, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. It's a note that I jotted down that we see Adam sitting idly by. Everyone tries to like kind of just like, oh, we don't know where Adam was, and the, the snake just came to Eve. It's like, no, they were together. They were together. Adam was the one who had the instructions from God himself. He heard God say, you shall not eat of this fruit, for when you do, you shall surely die, die, die. And then he's sitting there, and the snake's talking to Eve. He's like, you're not going to die, die. You're going to be, be, be like God. This is what Satan's saying. And Adam, where are you, dude? No, Nothing? He had the full potential to stop the conversation at any, any time, but he didn't. And that's something that I just take from that application. Like, we have the full potential to stop the conversation at any time with the devil, where we can say, no, that's not true. Then we bring the word. We bring Jesus into the mix. 
And that's what, what happened with uh, Jesus and Satan anyways, right? It's like he said one thing to Jesus, Jesus came back with the word, and eventually Satan fled from him. But they ate. That's what happened there. They sinned. They did that what they shouldn't have done. First John chapter 2, verse 16 says this, that for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And then check this out. This is what happened. The, the order of events, right? What Satan did with, with her. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, right? It's the desires of the flesh. Like, ooh, I think I want that. Sounds like it might be good, right? And then it says, sorry, I just thought of this one instance in this movie. I, I would say it, but I don't. Have you guys seen Walk Hard? It's like this movie with uh, this dude Dewey, and he's like, they're talking about drugs, and then he's like, what is that stuff? And they're like, it's the, uh, they, they says drugs, and you're like, weed. It's like, oh, it's marijuana, and then he says, oh, it sounds expensive, and then the guy's like, it's the cheapest drug, you know? Anyway, it's just funny, because it's just like, that's what's happening here, where Eve's kind of like, well, what is it? And Satan's like, it's the best fruit, like, it's so good for food. Like, wow, but it sounds dangerous, we might die. Oh, you're going to be like God. Anyway, sorry, that was just a total, that was not in my notes, that's just what came to my mind. But the desires of the flesh, she saw that it was good for food. The next one, the desires of the eyes, right, it was the delight to look at there. And then the pride of life, it, they desired it to make one wise, where it's like, oh, there's like this, this um, I don't know, this power in it. So then she ate, she disobeyed God's one rule. She gave it to Adam, and he ate, disobeying God's one rule. And so what we see here is they made a decision. They made a choice. Sin is a choice. And make no mistake that God gave them a choice. If God didn't give them a choice, then there really wasn't ever freedom. There really couldn't be love as we know it, right? Love is a choice, right? Jesus, I mean, the word for love how Jesus loves us is agape, right? It's unconditional. Like, it doesn't matter what you do. He still loves you. He's still coming after you. He's still trying to pull you to him, right? And so he is unconditionally loving us. He chooses to do that, right? And when, we, when we're married, right, it's like we're your spouse or even friends. It's like when you choose to be in that friendship, it's like you're choosing. And that's what makes the friendship valuable. It's like, man, I know that they care about me. That, you know what I'm saying? Like when they don't care about you and they don't want to be around you, it's like, well, I don't want to be around someone who doesn't care about me, right? Like if, you're, if your spouse came home and was like, ah, I bought you flowers, like, oh, thanks, baby, why'd you buy me flowers? Ah, I just, I had to, I was supposed to. Someone told me, like, no, you want them to bring flowers because, like, I just love you so much and I was at the store and I was thinking about you and so I just brought you some flowers. Like, that's a choice that we, we can have, right? We're, love and and freedom requires the ability to choose. And so there's this choice, and in this moment, they chose to disobey God, and the repercussions for that is death. All of a sudden, in that moment in history, they eat of this fruit, both of them, right? And they have now just ushered in death for humanity. I mean, it seems unfair, right? We're just like, man, like if we could go back there and if I would have been the first guy, like I would not do that, right? But I think we all would have. God knew that this was going to happen before, beforehand. God had this plan of salvation and redemption um, long before this happened. So it's just interesting. Um, but this moment they choose death. And, and what I note from it, it only takes one moment of weakness one conversation with Satan or a bad friend to just influence you into maybe a lifetime of, of death and bad decisions. 
One sin is enough to ruin you. Like, that, that's, the Bible teaches, like, sin is sin. The, the wages of sin is death. We can't get around it. So it doesn't matter if you just told a little lie to your coworker or you just totally did something else that's crazy and murdered somebody. God forbid that happened. Like, but to God, like, those are both sin and they're both just disgusting and, and, and um, terrible before God, right? Genesis 3, verse 7 says, Then, so after they eat, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So their eyes are open. But what I notice here, and actually we'll see as it goes on, it's like, what happened to the serpent? Where, where's he at? We can't find him again. Like, they ate, they bit of the fruit, and boom, he's gone. That's what Satan does. He's not your friend. He'll try to promise you riches and all these things. And he's like, yeah, it's good. Do it. Do more. Tell your friends about it. Tell them to do this stuff too. And then all of a sudden, it's like once you do it and you bite, Satan is gone like the wind. He doesn't care about you or me one bit other than our downfall. Promises a lie just to get us to fall. So he's gone. Verse 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So it said they sewed fig leaves together there in verse 7 to cover themselves. And then it says that they actually went into more covering into the garden there and they hid themselves from God. And so what they're trying to do now is they realize we have messed up. I mean, if, again, if you have kids and you know this, like your kid will try and run and hide when you're just like, hey, what, what is all this stuff on the floor right here? And it's like all of a sudden, like your son's off in another room and pretends like they don't hear you and stuff. It's like, hey, I'm talking to you. <laughs> like, did you do this? Right? They start to hide it. We try to hide it. Sin, that is. So Adam and Eve, they're sitting here, they're trying to hide. But here's the thing about trying to hide your sin is that you can never hide your sin. The Bible actually says in, I think it's Numbers 14, says that your sin will find you out. Did you know that? I think that's just so interesting. There's people, and I, I mean, I've heard um, some high school pastors talk about that, where it's like, you know, you have these high schoolers who think they're clever and like they're getting away with sin and that we don't know that they're out there smoking weed in the parking lot. It's like, we're not stupid. Like, we know what's going on, right? And suddenly they use that verse. They say, your sin will find you out, and it will in time. Your sin will find you out. Kind of like Moses. Moses, he's, he's out and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And then he goes and he kills the Egyptian. And then he buries him in the sand, right? Thinking like, oh, all, it's, it's fine. I just killed this dude. Bury him in the sand. I'm going to go on my life and, and keep living a happy, prosperous life, right? But then all of a sudden, um, there's like a fight going on the next day or whenever it is, right? And then a Hebrew or an Egyptian, I don't know who it is, but they come up to Moses and they're like, what are you going to do? You're going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? And what that's saying is like, hey, your sin has been found out. We know what you did. Your sin, no matter how small we may think it is or how big it is, it will be found out one day. Our sin will catch up with us in time. Nothing can cover our sin but the blood of Jesus. And we'll get into that more next week. But going on to verse 9, it says, but the Lord God called to the man, and I just think this is super interesting and, and just good to know. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? 
God called to Adam because he's the one he put in charge in the first place. He said, hey, you don't sin, don't eat of this tree, don't, because when you do, you're going to die, right? It was like almost like Adam's responsibility. If they had had kids, it's like you're supposed to teach your kids these things. You need to tell your wife these things, right? And it almost gets me thinking like maybe Adam had that moment of like, I don't remember exactly what God said. I think he said we can't eat of it or touch it. And maybe that's why Eve said we can't eat of it or touch it because Adam told him that. I don't know. Just my thoughts. But when they sin, and then all of a sudden they, God comes into the picture, he comes to Adam. And it's just a picture of like, hey, he has placed Adam there, man, um, to, to be, what do we call it, um, accountable. Accountable. Like if we, and I think this applies for everyone, like if we sit idly by like Adam, Knowing what we should do or what we shouldn't do or we're seeing someone do something that they shouldn't do God's not gonna You know what I mean? It's like guilty by association kind of thing It's like we think like well, we're gonna be innocent because I wasn't doing it But then we're like but God's like but I gave you the wisdom to know what to do and you were there in that moment Why didn't you tell him to stop? So God calls to the man, holds him accountable. He doesn't come to Eve and say, what did you do, right? He knew what happened, too, by the way. And so it comes to uh, Adam, where are you? And for us, it's just a matter of time until God calls us and says, well, where were you in this situation? He's going to hold us accountable for what we know and what we did with what we know. Verse 10 says, and he said, this is Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And this right here is just like he said more than he should have at this point, right? It's like, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, this is God, verse 11, who told you that you were naked? And all of a sudden Adam's like, oh, ooh. Uh, did I say naked? Uh, I, I, I'm still learning Hebrew right now, Lord. I don't know what, I, I didn't mean that. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? Like right there in that moment, Adam's sin found him out. Like he just spilled the beans. You know, and so his sin finds him out. Um, he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And again, God knows everything. He's not asking them something he doesn't know. But what God's doing is he's giving them an opportunity to come clean. And that's what he'll do with us. It's like, did you do this? Like, what have you done here? Right. He gives us that opportunity. It's like with your kids again. For me, we're teaching our son. When he does something wrong, like, and he's, he starts to try to lie about it or blame it on his sister. No, Nola uh, did this or, or told me to do it. Like, no, she didn't. She can only say, like, five words, okay? Calm down. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, um, but, ah, man, where was I going with this? <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Um, what was I saying? Sorry, this happens from time to time. What was I saying? I was trying to illustrate a point, but. Oh, yeah. uh, No, I don't know. Anyways, hopefully you got something out of that part. Let's move on. Uh, Totally just had a brain fart, you know what I'm saying? Uh, But his sin finds him out. What have you done? Uh, Yeah, nothing's coming back. We just got to move on. Verse 13. Did we do verse 13? It says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Oh, yeah, we see all oh, the blame game kind of going on here, right? It's like, oh, no, like she did it. It's like God, again, God knows. And just like with your kids, they try to lie to you. That's what I was trying to say. They try to blame it on the, the other one. And it's like, no, she didn't do that. She doesn't know how to do that yet. 
uh, or maybe she does and we just don't know. Um, but anyways, his sin finds her out. What we see in verse 13 is that her sin finds her out, right? It's like Adam spills the beans. He's like, oh, well, the woman you gave me, she's the one who gave me the fruit, right? He tries to cast the blame, and that's really what we try to do with sin, right? It's like, well, it wasn't my fault. I was just there at the wrong time, right? It's like my friends, they deceived me. They, they tricked me, right? And so then we start to play the blame game. Then the woman said, what is, or God said to the woman, sorry, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And that he did for sure. But it says, and I ate. And I think that's always what we will do on the other side of sin. We will be deceived. We will sin because we thought it was worth it. And then on the other side, we're like, but the serpent, Satan, deceived me. Like we all of a sudden realize I fell for the lie. And we realize how empty it is and how just deceiving. Um, verse 14, and we're going to see consequences of sin. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, and he's talking again to the serpent, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I think he's talking about the serpent, like probably just snakes in general, but then he, I think he gets into Satan um, himself specifically here verse 15 says I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel and really what we see here is just the first glimpse or first little prophecy little nugget of Jesus um, prophecy um, in scripture just Genesis chapter 3 the third chapter of the Bible is already speaking of Jesus because later on it says that Jesus crushes his head right and he's going to bruise his heel because he bruised Jesus heel on the cross like he he may have hurt him a little bit but it's like in the long grand scheme of things it really was nothing and Jesus crushed the head of Satan and so we just see that here and it's talking about offspring and the the different um I mean between the man or the the woman and the offspring there would be Jesus, comes from Mary, right? Um, verse 16. And to the woman, he said, so here's the woman's consequences. It says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And if you've had a kid, I mean, you can probably understand that. I mean, guys, we don't understand it like you women would do, right? But childbearing is not pleasant. And that's why they have different ways to try and make it more tolerable and stuff. And, I, and it's, with my wife, it's like after having a baby and all that stuff and going through all the craziness, we're like, I don't know if we want to have any more kids, right? And the Bible actually says that like over time, like then they forget about the pain of childbearing because of the joy that the life has brought. But anyways... God says, I'll multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You, then here, check this out. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. And there's debate on that. Different translations would use a different word for contrary to your husband. But it says, but he shall rule over you. But we see here consequences of sin, pain, and childbearing. And really what we could boil this down is strife in marriage. Strife in marriage, I would say there. When he says your desire shall be contrary to your husband, not that you hate your husband. It's not saying that all oh, you and Adam are just going to hate each other forever and marriage is going to be hard. But he's just saying there's going to be problems. Because if you hadn't sinned, you guys could do whatever you want to do and everything would be good. It's like, and so, and if you think about it, marriage would just be super, just amazing and easy if there was no sin, right? Like if, if we didn't have attitudes or wake up cranky and, you know, for me, like I'll work a whole bunch and I'm just kind of like, 
I'm just in a bad mood and I'm just tired and exhausted. And that's, that's my excuse, if you will, right? We have disagreements over what we should use our finances for or, or whatever co- comes about, you know, and there's strife in marriage. And obviously there's bigger things that will come in and ruin and wreck marriages. But really it's like consequence of sin is it makes marriage harder. And that wasn't how God intended. And actually God intends to bring the greatest marriage, right? Him and his bride together and he's going to make everything right again. The, the wedding feast we see in Revelation, actually. Verse, um, what's the next verse there? Verse 17, and to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Here's another consequence of sin. Cursed is the ground because of you. It says, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. It says, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, which means you're going to work hard and it's not going to be pleasant. It says, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's kind of like God flexing out on them, like you disobeyed me, and you're going to go back to the ground from which I create you eventually and he says and in that time between now and then when you die he's like it's going to be harder for you because you sinned now the ground's going to produce these thorns and things that'll poke you and make work harder and unpleasant remember we looked at last week god created us for work work is something that we're supposed to do but because of the fall it has made work harder and a little more unpleasant right and that's the result of sin verse 20 says the man called his wife's name Eve because she was with the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And I just love that because even in their disobedience, God still brings forth a blessing. Isn't that interesting? It's like he still cares for them. And I think so many times people think God won't care for me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't want to bless me anymore because I've just sinned and gone so far astray. But here in this first instance of sin, them being clear sinners, God calling out their sin before them saying, because I told you not to and you did, X, Y, and Z is going to happen. And then it's all of a sudden he's like, but before I send you... I'm going to make you guys some real clothes because those plant clothes, that's ridiculous, right? And so he still blesses them. And so, but understand this, that just because God blesses you while you're sinning or having just some different types of sin you're dealing with or living in, that doesn't mean that God's okay with sin. I think so many times, again, we're, we can be like Satan, well, I got away with it, he didn't kill me. And he still let me live and breathe, so God must be cool with my sin. No. No, he's not. He he hates sin. He hates it. So don't just, don't mistake him blessing you for that he's okay with it. He's a loving God. Verse 22 through the end of the chapter says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Isn't that interesting? The Lord God said the man has become like one of us. There's this plurality there. It's like the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's become like one of us in knowing good and evil, right? He knows what's good and he knows the absence of God and and maybe just what that could be. And says, now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east 
of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. And so it's just interesting here. Um, but I mean, we could obviously expound upon it, right? People try to use this and even Genesis chapter 2 and the rivers and all that stuff to try to find where is the Garden of Eden. But just right here in Scripture, it's like nobody could find it. No one's getting in. God has it protected. It's on lockdown, right? Um, Nobody's getting in. But this is what we need to understand. The greatest consequence of sin, which we see in these last two verses, is separation from God. They were walking with God, living life in the garden. God would speak to them. They would speak to him. Like, how cool would that be? Seriously, like we can't even fathom it because we live in this fallen world. But that's the greatest consequence of sin in their life and our life is that it separates us from God. The more we sin, the more we get separated from God. And eventually we die. I mean, that sucks, but I think even worse than death is just separation from God. And worse than that, Separation from God forever. Separation from God forever. Our clock right now is ticking. Time is winding down. And just like Adam and Eve had this choice, you can eat of that one tree or you can eat of all the rest of the trees freely, right? It's like you had, they had a choice and they chose. God has given us a choice today and He gives us a choice every day. It says His mercies are new every morning. He gives us a fresh start to be, basically think of it this way, when you wake up in the morning, God's like, so what are you going to choose today? You might have messed up yesterday, but but what are you going to do today? God gives us a choice today and very simply put, and we'll expound upon this next week, but He gives us the choice of life or death. Scripture says, choose life and live. He says, today is the day of salvation, right? It's like, and I love what my friend said, and he taught um, at, at Calvary Tucson last week, and he says that nowhere in Scripture does it say, get saved tomorrow, right? Because tomorrow doesn't promise us. We don't know if it's going to happen. But it says, today is the day of salvation. And so God gives us a choice, life or death. And that life, that choice is found in when we repent of sin. And repenting of sin is... We don't really see a good picture of it here in this first um, instance of sin, but repenting of sin would be to turn from sin, to just say, yeah, I've been living this way, and you just admit it too, right? It's like there's something about a person who will just admit that they're wrong straight up and just not make any excuse, right? Like at at my job at FedEx, if someone messes up and they do something they shouldn't have done, they just say, yeah, I I did that. Like to me, that's, that's higher like respect for me than if you try to tell me X, Y, and Z of why you messed up. Um, and so repenting is just saying, yeah, I blew it. I, I knew what I was supposed to do, and I didn't do it. I knew what I shouldn't do, and I did it. And so repenting is to, to first confess of your sins, and then repenting is to turn from your sins. It's like, yep, I used to do drugs, and I used to be an alcoholic, but to repent of it is to say, you know what, I'm not doing that anymore, and now I'm going to follow Jesus. Does that mean that this is going to be easy, following Jesus? No way. You know how many years it took for me to get... I I went to counseling for three years because it was just so hard. I needed someone to talk to to help me through this and to help me to get a new perspective. And then Scripture says, it's like, renew your minds. How do you renew it? Well, you renew it with Scripture, with God's Word. Let God speak into your life. And then all of a sudden, I mean, Scripture says He'll give us a new heart. That's not a, a physical heart that pumps blood through our system but it's like it's the spiritual heart he's going to give us a new heart where your your heart's desires used to be for yourself he's going to give you desires for him 
right? It's like when I was partying and doing that stuff, I didn't want to go and read the Bible all day at night and study it and read different commentaries. But then God gave me a new heart. Now all of a sudden, I'm interested. That's evidence of God working in it. So that, then we repent of it, and then God gives us the strength to keep carrying on. So we repent of our sins, and then we, and, and the most important probably, I mean, is believing in Jesus. We repent and we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Amen? Will you guys stand with me and let's pray? Father, we thank you for this night, and we just thank you for the account of Genesis 3 and the first human sin, Lord, and that we can just take some things from it, God. That first, we shouldn't interact with the devil, Lord, and that the devil is crafty, he's clever, and he hates us, and he wants us to fall, Lord. And so help us just to see the schemes, the plans of the enemy more plainly as we're going out in life this week. And help us to just see them, Lord. Help your word to just be a lamp unto our feet that we may see the lies and that we may avoid bad decisions, Lord. If we are living in sin, God, help us just to repent of that type of sin, God, and just help us to turn to you. God, our sin's gonna find us out one day, so God, why, why hide it? Why, why try to run from you, God? We can't run. You know everything, God. So God, help us just to come to you this week, find just... A, a new fresh fervent spirit for you god help us to come clean if we've we've messed up and blown it god and give us a new heart give us a new mindset lord and help us to to live the day for your glory so that people may na- know you and so thank you for this bible study lord and uh, we thank you and pray these things in jesus name amen so do we want to close in worship all right, yeah, it's a little late there. But so, anyways, next week, um, we're going to finish this series in the beginning, and we're going to finish it with a talk or a teaching. I'm going to say, in the beginning, Jesus. And so we saw a little glimpse of it tonight. It's like there's a promise, a glimmer of hope early in Scripture, but we're actually going to unfold it. We're not going to be in Genesis chapter 4, so if you try to read ahead, you're going to be very confused next week. Like, wait, I thought we were talking about Cain and Abel, and they killed each other and stuff. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Jesus next week, our Lord and our Savior the only hope for mankind, the one who wants to give salvation and abundant life to all of us. So we're going to unpack that. It's going to be a very topical study, but um, I I think it's going to be very rich, very good for us. Um, So we're going to end our series um, with that in the beginning, Jesus, um, because in Jesus, all things find that new beginning. Uh, I just love that. And so after that, we'll get into Mark, um, and we'll start reading through it, studying it through it verse by verse. I will tell you, it'll probably be a lot smaller portions of Scripture. So just, I mean, if you guys are like, man, they cover a lot of Scripture, we're probably going to slow it down. We'll probably take a little more bite-sized pieces, and we're going to unpack it a little bit more. Take our time and really just just kind of soak in the richness of God's Word. Um, I really believe it'll be good. And so uh, I'm excited for next week, but until next week, just go out there, live a fervent, um, repentant of sin life, um, fervent for Jesus, passionate for Jesus, so that people may know Jesus. Can I just get an amen? amen. Woo! Week three. <laughs> there it is. Yeah! Well, thanks for coming, guys. Um, feel free to hang out, chill. If you got questions, comments, concerns, no. Send them to my wife. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. But anyways.